we do pray, Lord, that your light would shine on us, Lord God, that those around us uh, might see your glory and might be uh, captivated and caught up, Lord God, in your gospel, in this story of you rescuing and redeeming uh, those that you love here on earth. Um, and Father, may even faraway places uh, see uh, your glory and your light on us, uh, your grace and your mercy on us. And uh, Lord, what might we be a light, Lord God, uh, that the people around us, the people in distant places even, uh, might see your, your light and your glory uh, as, it, as you uh, reflect it on us. Ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. All right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Grace out the back. All right. Let's see, before we jump in here um, into the main text this morning, I wanted to, to uh, read again Romans chapter 5, verse 8 to you guys this morning. This uh, one of my favorite verses, I, I know I say that every week, but this is really one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures because it says, it demonstrates, again, uh, uh, about God's love for us, and, and it demonstrates where we were and where he found us, and really that he came and got us. He pursued us. He, he came and got us. We weren't looking for him, but he was looking for us. Um, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a powerful, powerful verse, isn't it? Where were we when he came seeking us, looking for us, coming, coming to get us? We were lost in sin, every single one of us. And I know, you know, you become a Christian and you walk with Christ for a few years and you, you kind of forget what your life was like. And especially if, how many of you here became a, a, a Christian before, say, the age of 10? All right, how many between like 10 and 18? All right, how many after the age of 18? Mm-hmm. Oh, good, that's good. About, uh, yeah, about uh, a third and third and third. That's really good stuff. You know, it's really hard when you become uh, a Christian at a young age. Uh, that sounds funny, doesn't it? But it's hard to remember what you were rescued from, right? But if you became a Christian after you'd become an adult, and you know what you first do when you become an adult is you start making adult mistakes and still childlike mistakes, right? Uh, And then you know what you've been rescued from, you know, right? True? Amen? Amen, that's true. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, when when you're an adult and you come to Christ, then you remember remember very well what you've been rescued from, right? you've, You've made some mistakes of your own, you know? Then that you can blame on your parents or anyone else. These, you know, these, you know, these mistakes you can call these are mine. I can, you know, I can hold these up and say, yes, I did this, and uh, be all really proud of your mistakes. But, uh, uh, but uh, when we when you become a Christian at an early early age, it's hard to remember what you've been rescued from. But I want to, I want you to go back. Do you remember when you were saved? Um, and do you remember what your life was like before? Do you remember what it was to have the, you know, uh, David describes the pressure of his own sin and he says it felt like his bones were being crushed in the psalms he says i, I felt like my bones were cru- i felt like i was i was being compressed uh by my the weight of my own sin do you remember that feeling do you remember coming to the point and i don't know you know we all come to christ maybe a little bit differently but uh and and we all come from a little different background a little different story 
uh, and God's had grace on us all, amen? But wherever you came from, maybe this was you, that you felt overwhelmed by your sin, that you felt so compressed and so helpless and helpless that I can't, I've tried, I can't do any better than this, and someone's got to help me because I can't stop messing up. If you're an adult, that may be how you came to Christ, is just out of sheer desperation, you know? As a child, maybe we become Christians for different reasons because we, we recognize maybe God's love before we recognize his forgiveness. But, uh, but when you become a, a Christian as an adult, you remember very well what you've been saved from. Uh, will you, do you remember that? Will, will, you, will you remember that? Will you think of that for just a moment? Will you remember where you were? Um, we're going to read a story here in just a moment about a man who was incredibly, um, incredibly um, successful in business, uh, incredibly successful. And, you know, sometimes it's the incredibly good-looking or the incredibly wealthy or the incredibly talented who have a very difficult time coming to God. Yeah. Um, sometimes people get so much out of this life because they're so popular or powerful or, uh, you know, successful that they have a hard time realizing their need for God. True? Yeah, we see this in the gospel, don't we? We see a rich young ruler come to, come to Jesus and, and uh, he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, give away all your money. And he goes away sad but rich. Yeah? He goes away sad but rich. Uh, and he went away, of course, not knowing and not following Jesus Christ. There would be another rich man who would come to Jesus just a chapter after the rich young ruler, and uh, his name is Zacchaeus. Would you turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 19, please? Anyone want to do the song? Of course, not really. No, don't embarrass us like that, really. <laughs> that was a joke, at least. All right. Uh, we remember about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, right, you're wondering, when, is he really going to say this whole thing? No, I'm, I'm going to stop there. Just until you were wondering, that's, then I'll let it go. Okay. In uh, Luke chapter 19, verse, starting verse 1, Jesus had been in uh, Jericho, and he had, uh, he had just, saved, uh, just saved, just healed a blind man. And, and then here would be a second man who would receive uh, salvation, not of his sight, but of his soul. Um, in, uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let me pause there for just a moment. If I haven't said enough things about bad enough, enough bad things about tax collectors, I, I, I don't mean that. I, I'm just kidding. But I, I want you to get the context here. You can't miss this. Tax collectors were Jewish people who had bought the right from the Roman government to tax their own people. Okay? Now, follow me here. The Roman government was hated by the Jews because they were oppressive if there was some sort of rebellion, the Romans came in and absolutely relentlessly crushed rebellions. The, the Roman government wouldn't put up with it. And they killed people. They killed children, women. They, they absolutely squashed any rebellion that was happening in any of their territories, in any of the lands of the Roman Empire. And it was no different here in, in, in Israel. It was no different here. And so here's the deal. So say your neighbor is working for the government who is oppressing you. How do you feel about them? They're a traitor. That's exactly right. That's exactly how they were thought of, is that they were traitors to their own people. 
And part of it was they earned their own reputation because not only could they tax people whatever Rome wanted, they could also put whatever tax they wanted on people for their own fee, their own profit. And so some of them became very wealthy. Some of them were very good at collecting taxes. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was good at it. He was a wealthy man, all right? Now, the people around Jesus, um, a lot of people hung around Jesus uh, for a time there in, uh, in the temple, and people uh, in the temple, some were very common people, but some of them were church people, you know what I mean? Some of them were Pharisees and teachers of the law, and uh, some of those uh, really good church people, the Pharisees and, uh, and the, and the uh, uh, you know, I'm using the term kind of loosely there, you know there was a temple there, not church people, but um, some of those people there were seeing him, and they were righteous in their own way, and uh, they began to kind of wonder what Jesus was doing here. But anyway, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus in verse 2. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, all right? He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I know you thought it said, you come down. Okay, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Just a quick note there, that, wor- that term gladly, welcomed him gladly. This means, uh, that, that term's maybe a little weak in the NIV. He welcomed him joyously. It says that he was uh, like ecstatic. He was joyous to meet and, and to be uh, in the presence of Jesus. And, and he was very glad. He was joyous at the, at the opportunity uh, to, uh, to see Jesus and to have him at his home. Okay, now notice all the good church people. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. All right, let me pause there for just a moment. Let me stop there for just a moment. Okay, well, what do we know about Zacchaeus so far? He's a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors um, always, uh, to make their money, always asked for more tax than the Roman government asked for so that they could make money. And he was apparently very good at it because he was wealthy. We know, too, though, that he wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus saw him uh, up in the tree, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, I'll be terribly unpopular if I spend any time with you, and so I'm going to uh, not hang out with you. I'll just catch you next time. No, or did he say, no, you know what, Zacchaeus, I don't really have time to spend with you today, so I'm going to catch you next time a little later. You know, I'm busy trying to save the world. He didn't say that either. He took the time for a man that no one else would take time for. Are you with me? His wealthy friends, I'm sure, would have made time for him, but these uh, good church people, the good Pharisees and uh, and the teachers of the law, they wouldn't have anything to do with this sinner. Yeah? Wouldn't have anything to do with him. And Jesus found himself judged by those people over and over again as he made time to hang with the outcast and the spiritually inferior and the sinners and the adulterers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Always making time for them. You see, this is true about our God. He pursues us when we don't deserve it. Yeah, He pursued you when you weren't deserving it. Amen? Aren't you glad he did? If he had waited for me to turn my life around, the weight would be up, wouldn't it? Be all over. But he doesn't wait for us. In his mercy and in his grace and in his forgiveness, he looks at Zacchaeus and he says somehow, you're worth my time. Now, no doubt, Jesus 
must certainly have been the busiest man on the face of the earth. Can you imagine in three years developing a ministry that was going to go worldwide, living an example for all these people, trying to disciple these 11 men that you're going to leave in the hand, you know, leave this whole kingdom in the hands of, and he makes time for someone that no one else, no other religious person would possibly have made time for. But that is the nature of our God. He is a pursuer of people, and he pursued you. And he pursued me when we didn't deserve it. Thank God. Amen? Amen. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, listen to what this meant to him. This must have been incredibly powerful for Zacchaeus. You know, he'd been, he, Zacchaeus, because of his trade and probably because he cheated people, probably, um, especially by what he says a little bit later. He had ostracized himself because of his business, because of his business practices, had ostracized himself from not only from the religious people but from other people in general. They considered tax collectors to be as bad as prostitutes and adulterers, you know, in their community. And what it must have meant to Zacchaeus to have Jesus stop and say, I'm going to go, come down, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus, in response, it says in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Amazing stuff. I know. It's amazing. And he says in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. That must have been terribly meaningful, you think, to, to Zacchaeus, to hear him say that, hey, you're a part of this people, and salvation has come to, your, to, your, to this house today. Let me make one point really quickly. Um, he didn't receive salvation because he gave away all of his, or half of his possessions and tried to make things right. True? True, right. It's not because he gave away. It, what, what happened was is that he was rightly connected with God for maybe the first time in his life. And in response, he gave away all half of his stuff and tried to make things right with people who he, he had cheated. And Jesus says, because you're rightly connected with God, salvation has come to this home today. Amen? Isn't that fantastic? And now the last part of this verse is so important, or last part of this passage is so important. It says in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that to save what was lost. Sorry, there's another, another translation that says that which was lost. Sorry. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine that we have a God like this who is so, you know, we view him, and, and I can only imagine, you know, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who knew God so very well and yet completely missed him somehow, saw him as so holy and so set apart, and they saw him hanging out, saying, saw Jesus hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, and they said, that can't be him. Our God is more holy than that. He's too holy to be hanging out with people like this. But that same God who is so holy, so perfect in holiness and righteousness, so, so perfectly pious, just all, in his, all on his own, is the same God who seeks and saves lousy sinners like you and me. It's a beautiful thing. He pursues us. He seeks us. And he seeks to save us. Amen? That's the nature of our God. He seeks, he, he came to seek and to save. He seeks and saves that which was lost, all right? All right, let's, um, 
let me say just a moment there about about what Jesus has about Jesus pursuing us. You know, before um, before Jesus was Jesus Christ here on earth, as we kind of know him and and have seen him and studied him, he existed before then. In John chapter seventeen, verse five, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, "And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began." All right. So Jesus existed in glory with the Father when. Before the world began, before there was anything, he was with the Father in glory. Now get this, he left that, and he left the perfect fellowship of the Trinity, and he, worshiped the, he left the worship and adoration of the angels, and he left the perfect connection and community that he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he left the glory of heaven, and he came here to earth to wrap himself in humanity, in, humanity, in human flesh. And of course, we know the story, he was born like a servant, not like a king. He was born like a servant, and he pursued you and I. Amen? Are you with me? Do you see what he left? Uh, He left the the glory of heaven to pursue us here on earth, and he made an incredible statement with all of that, and he he said in that statement, he said through his life, he said that people are worth pursuing. It's an incredible thing. We were really lost and deserving of hell, but God's decision was is that people are worth pursuing. Yeah, He'd given us one chance, you know. He'd given us a chance to get it right, and, and yet he decided that we'd be worth pursuing. Um, what does it take for someone to come to know Jesus Christ? Um, in this story, we have Jesus Christ who's kind of delivering salvation. And last week when we talked about the woman who was caught in adultery, it was Jesus delivering the message. But Really, today, what does it take for someone to know Jesus Christ? To know they're a sinner? And how about this? When you just put the pieces together, when you just put the puzzle together, the the parts or the players together, it takes someone who is willing to step out of their comfort zone, yeah, and to carry the message of the gospel to them. True. Rarely does it happen today. Because God has put it all in our hands. We're now called the body of Christ, right? Rarely does it happen today, although I wouldn't say that God never does because it's his decision, not mine. But rarely does it happen today that Jesus just shows up to someone and says, I want you to become a Christian. I want you to follow me. It's happened more than the scriptures. But today it happens, generally speaking, because someone stepped out of their comfort zone and took a risk and made time with you, and made time with me, and led us to Jesus Christ. Those of you who have become a Christian, especially in your later years, is that how it happened with you? Someone, somewhere, made a decision to step out of what was comfortable, and they took time to know you and to care about you, and they delivered the message to you over time about the gospel. Is that what happened in your life? That's typically it. Um, here's, um, you know, um, I, I, I need to say, I'm... Uh, I've been reading this book uh, from Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room, uh, and that's what's inspired, basically inspired these sermons. I want to read a part to you. Now, this is, uh, let me tell you, um, he, Bill Hybels one day was at a, uh, a, a little a kind of a dinner party, and it was not, it was a secular dinner party. There were all kinds of different people there. It was in the South, and he noticed uh, they had di- 
people at tables. It was a, you know, everyone had dinner there together, and it was all different individuals from different uh, 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 lifestyles. And um, there was a gentleman there. They went through and introduced everyone around the table, and, and uh, they didn't necessarily say what they did, but they just said their names, and they sat down, and, and there, the presentation was just about to start. And, and at his table, there was an African-American man with a Muslim name sitting across the table from him. And, uh, and just before the presentation was about to start, he says to Bill Hybels, this gentleman says, I love your books. And Bill Hybels turns around thinking, who's he talking about, you know, to? Because certainly this guy certainly hasn't read any of my books. But uh, he says, no, I, I love your books. I've read many of them. I love your books. And he says, thank you, and, and, uh, and, and, and says, well, let's talk later. And, got, and Bill Hybels, like, got his curiosity up. How in the world has this guy read any of my books? But uh, anyway, here's what happened. Um, let me read you a little part here. I'm sorry. This is I uh, don't mean to, uh, to bore you with a little reading, but it's, in a, it's an exciting story. My table mate had been a Muslim for most of his life. He pointed out that being an African-American Muslim in a su- southern si- city, coupled with his current line of work, made, it often, made for an often uncomfortable existence. One night, I was at this type of party, he said, As usual, I noticed several small circles of people forming to chat about this or that. I wasn't included in any of them, but again, I've become accustomed to that scenario. At one point, I saw a man on the other side of the room engrossed in discussion with a few people of his own kind, if you will. Suddenly, he looked away from that particular group and noticed me standing alone by the far wall. This is exactly how it happened, Bill. He extricated himself from his conversational clique, walked across the room, stuck out his hand to me, and introduced himself. You know, it was so easy and so natural, the Muslim man continued. In the moments that followed, we talked about our mutual profession, about our families and business and sports. Eventually, our conversation found its way to issues of faith. I took a risk in telling him that I was a Muslim. I was a little hesitant about how he'd respond. He told me he was a Christ follower, but that, truth be told, he knew almost nothing about Islam. You can imagine my surprise when he asked if I would do him the courtesy of explaining the basics of Islam over a cup of coffee sometime. Can you believe that? He said he was a curious type and genuinely wanted to understand my faith system and why I devoted my life to it. The next time we, we met, whatever doubts I had about him truly wanting to hear my beliefs were quickly dispelled. He really sought to understand my life and my faith. We began meeting almost weekly, and each time I sat across from him, I was stunned by what an engaged and compassionate listener he was. One week, I even took the opportunity to ask him about his beliefs. I'd been a Christian as a kid, but I had left God, left the faith, and left it all because the church my family attended was so racially prejudiced. I wanted no part of that Christianity. When the tables turned and I was on the receiving end of his faith story, he patiently described why he'd given his whole life to the person, to this person named Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe how easily the conversations evolved and how respectfully and sensitively he conveyed his love for God. Despite our deep-seated religious differences, we were becoming fast friends. It went on this way for some time as we'd meet to hash through nuances of our faith experiences. Sometimes he would ask for a couple of days to, to find answer to my questions. Other times he knew exactly where I was struggling and seemed to have the perfect words to untangle my confusion. There finally came a day I remember being home alone when this happened, I, that I felt totally compelled to pray to God. I kneeled beside my bed, told God everything I was feeling, and in the end gave my life to Jesus Christ. And in the space of about a week, that single decision has changed everything in my world. Every single thing. Isn't that a great story? 
What does it take for people to come to know Jesus Christ? I'm sorry. How the will they know unless they're sent? Um, you know, at uh, I've I've been reading through this book and just and just uh, taking inventory here, just even this last uh, fall about just how how well my just my personal uh, forgive me personal evangelism, if I can use a uh, uh, too too many theological words there, uh, and and seem spiritual when I'm not. Uh, but um, and 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 here, let me tell you what it takes sometimes. God began to speak to me about how I was spending my time uh, at work. Where do you, where do you come in contact with most lost people? With with the most lost people. Work, school, class, yeah, um, and all those places. But um, you know, I have a uh, I have a, a group of fast friends at uh, at, at my work, and uh, and we eat lunch together every day. And uh, the Lord started pressing on me or impressing on me that I need to sometimes leave that group to go spend time with people who are not my friends or not believers, essentially, you know? And I started to pray and, and started to ask, Lord, well, well, how might I be used? Where do you want me to start? And, um, of course, he, um, the first person he puts in my mind is, uh, is uh, a guy who's going through a rough time. And, and, uh, and uh, anyway, that's, a, that's another story. But, um, uh, you, you know, you got to leave what's comfortable. You, you have to leave what's comfortable if we want to be serious about sharing our faith. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, but Bill Hybels here says basically the average Christian, once they've become a Christian for about six years, has no close relationships, no friendships with any lost people. How would the gospel be spread? How would the lost come to know Jesus Christ if no one knows the lost, if no one's loves them if no one takes time for them. Um, if I were to shorten it, I'd say something like this, is that we have to sometimes leave what's comfortable. Now, I'm not saying that, you, you know what, you're just going to have to stop spending time with your family and your children and go, no, no, no. You have to, those are good things, and we need to surround ourselves with time with our wives and our husbands and our, and our children and our friends and give, find encouragement in those relationships. But sometimes we need to leave what's comfortable. And we need to take time to care for someone else who's not a believer. And we need to look for the opportunity. And maybe it's over the, a period of, of days. Maybe it's over a period of weeks. Maybe it's over the period of years that we get the opportunity to share our faith with them. You know what I mean? It wasn't but a, maybe a generation ago that people would go door to door and, and share their faith. You know, And I, I know there are some, some groups that still do that. But uh, today that's unwelcome. You know, uh, someone shows up at your doorstep and you're automatically irritated, right? <laughs> Our culture has changed. We're automatically irritated. But people will never get over the fact of someone caring for them and making time for them. True? True. Um, if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone some occasionally, if you're willing to do that, then who knows? Uh, maybe you might find yourself being used by God to to influence someone's whole life and their eternity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being used like that? Um, you know, we have different comfort zones. Um, at work, you may have a comfort zone with a certain group of friends. When you're at home, your comfort zone may just be your home and being at home and not ever, you know, wanting to meet your neighbors or, or, or risk anything. Uh, but can I tell you, the gospel is never going to be spread that way. 
we're never going to fulfill the Great Commission as long as we, you know, cluster around and we don't leave our comfort zones. Somebody has to take a risk. Someone has to step away from what's comfortable and take a risk and into the unknown and say, I am willing, Lord, for you to use me to influence someone else's life. Okay? All right. Um, just really quickly, um, because, you know, one of the things that I think we struggle with is that we, we don't think very much in terms of, of relating uh, the gospel to people, that sometimes the lost are all around us and we never even see them, you know? And we never even see them. Do you see lost people around you? Do you notice them? Where do you run into lost people? No, really, that's a question for you. Everywhere? How about, the, yeah, where specifically? Do you see lost people at work? you see lost people at, uh, at the grocery store? You see lost people who's your checker. You see lost people in restaurants. You see lost people in, 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 in your class, uh, in classes. You see lost people in your neighborhoods. You know, so many times we just assume, we think that, well, everybody must be a Christian. Yeah. You ever do that sometimes? There's sometimes, well, I'll try to befriend someone for this opportunity and find out later that they're a Christian. And there's something that we're all just kind of uh, uh, magnetic together. We kind of draw t- together. Uh, you really have to maybe sometimes work at it. Um, but can I tell you, you know, I've found a mission field at my work. There's a guy who's struggling right now who needs uh, a lot of attention, needs a lot of help, and needs someone to pointing towards Jesus Christ for his answers in his life. There's a guy from India just down the hall. I have no idea where he stands. I don't know if he's, uh, what his faith is. Um, uh, there are a number of people at my work, you know, who have suffered from uh, divorce and, uh, and, and are, are hurting and lonely. Yeah, do you know lonely people? Um, those are easy places. Let me, we've got some friends, um, I'm talking about seeing lost people at the restaurant. We have some friends who a couple of years ago had befriended uh, the owner of a restaurant. They had started going to this restaurant, and it was owned by a woman from Asia. I can't remember the specific country, but they started going there, and they went there enough that they started to get to know the owner. Well, the owner was not a believer. Uh, she was, uh, her faith was in uh, her uh, kind of typical for her country, and um, and over time they began to spend time with her, and over time got to share the gospel with her. Just actually, just a short time before she left the country to go back, back home. Yeah, it doesn't take very much. It doesn't take very much to just to take a risk to step out of your comfort zone and say, that person's worth pursuing, that person's worth knowing, that person's worth seeing. If I might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them, yeah? Um, we must sometimes leave what's comfortable for what's imperative because people are worth pursuing. All right. Let me ask you some questions I asked last week, and, and we'll wrap up a little bit early. Is the God that you know worth knowing? Is the God that you know worth knowing? Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Uh, would other people love the relationship with God that you have? Would other people love the relationship with God that you have? Would you be willing to leave your comfort zone for the chance of loving and caring and maybe pointing someone to Jesus Christ? Let me say something else one time really quickly here too. Whenever we talk about evangelism, the very, you know, people panic a little bit, I know. You, you panic about, you know, this is so terribly uncomfortable, it's so terribly hard. 
to, to, to share your faith with someone. But let me tell you, you don't have to save the whole world. No, you know, no one's here is going to be the next Billy Graham, I don't think. I mean, God could intervene and raise us up, but, but I don't think anyone's going to be called to be the next Billy Graham. But one person, is there one person that the Lord's put in your mind? Is there one person that you know that you're struggling with who's a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate or someone that you know who's struggling and isn't a believer? Just one person. That's really, I think, typically what all God calls us for is to just invest in one person at a time, to spend time, to see if you can leave your comfort zone, step out and to take time to care about them, and then maybe one day be able to share your faith with them. Yeah? Just one person. Um, if there is one person that the Lord's already laid on your heart, I just encourage you to just to start praying for them, to start praying that the Lord would prepare their hearts uh, and to show you, give you ideas about how you can reach out to them and help them. You know, we see Jesus Christ all the time. He didn't just, you know, I think this is funny, um, but uh, didn't, Jesus didn't just run up to people all the time and say, I love you. And then take off, right? I mean, that's what we do today is we think that we're supposed to go and say, you know, Jesus loves you or, or may I share with you the four spiritual laws? I mean, come on. Uh, it's not going to work like that. But if you take time to care for someone, if you take time to invest time with them and to really try to meet their needs and to really take time to care for them and to love them and to pursue them like Jesus Christ pursued us, you'll have the opportunity one day. Amen? You with me? That's, I think, what is today modern-day evangelism, is taking the time to care for someone, stepping out of your t comfort zone, taking the time to care for someone, and then one day looking for the opportunity and then taking a risk to share your faith. Yeah? The person at the convenience store right around the corner, you know, I, my guess is everyone who works at Allsup's is in need of salvation. I don't know for sure, but I think that's true. I don't know what, where the, anyway, I'm sorry, that was that was just supposed to be funny. I don't mean to be like that. Listen, people are worth pursuing. The lost, the broken, people who have made a wreck and a mess of their lives, those people are worth pursuing. Amen? Amen? All right. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we thank you and rejoice, Lord God, that you, like Zacchaeus, you have sought us out. Uh, like you did with Zacchaeus, you sought us out, and you decided to pursue us. And to, and to chase us down. When we were lost in our sins, when we weren't pursuing or looking for you, Lord God, you came and you revealed your great story, your great message of salvation, uh, this great gospel where we have your son, Jesus Christ, dying on our behalf that our sins might be forever uh, forgiven and forever taken away. Uh, Lord, it, it's an incredible message. It's one that people around us are, are dying to hear. So, Lord, I pray, open our eyes to the people around us who are lost and hopeless in this world. Open our eyes that we might see them. Uh, Lord God, I pray. Open our eyes that we might see the, the person who's uh, checking us out at the convenience store or the person that we work with whose life is a, is a shambles, but they try to hide it and be professional there. Uh, the people at, a, at the restaurants we like to eat at. Uh, Lord, everywhere that we go, the people that we do business with, Lord, give us the opportunity, give us the vision to see them where they are. And Lord, give us the courage and, and, the, and the desire to step out, to take time to care about them. And Lord, maybe one day take a risk and share our faith with them, I pray. 
I pray, Lord, for everyone here this morning that you'd put at least, just give us one person, one person that you desire us uh, for us to care about and, and to have the opportunity to share our faith with. I pray that for every person here, uh, that we might have one person, Lord God, that you call us to, that you call us to pursue on your behalf. And Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, we know you. We know that our relationship with you is something that they would desire, something that they need, something that they, uh, that they desperately need to have hope uh, for this life and for the next. Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Now use us to, to take the gift that you've put in our lives and, and help us to bestow that gift on someone else. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Listen, thanks for being here this week. I, I appreciate you guys. You guys think, pray about someone that you could take time take, to take care of and uh, maybe one day get the opportunity to share the gospel with. Amen? Amen, amen. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.